the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications. Data networks built for business. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 216. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Mark Derricket. Welcome along, Mark. Welcome back. It's me. Now, for those who uh, who don't know you, maybe you can just provide a little fill-in where you fit into the, the technology and the podcasting uh, world in New Zealand. Uh, just an Auckland-based uh, software developer and fellow podcaster with doing the Illegal Argument Java podcast. Excellent. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump in. Now, first up, we just got an email just before we started from the folks at Lightbox, who, of course, offer their uh, their online streaming service ahead of Netflix's launch here in New Zealand. They launched last year with their uh, subscription video on demand service and they've just launched Better Call Saul. Yay. This is quite a big one, I think, for, for them. It's a bit of a coup. They've also got some other content like this, one of the series I've Oops. spent a bit of time watching. Yeah, Suits. So they've got some of this content ahead of it being broadcast you know, on any, any stations. I assume they've got exclusive of those shows now? Or? I think they've got a level of exclusivity probably for a period with, with this type of arrangement. Yeah. So, yeah, but this is Better Call Saul is, is the show that focuses in on on Saul Goodman from the the very famous TV series. Have you watched it? I have. I must confess that I've only seen one episode of Breaking Bad. So yeah. So so for Breaking Bad fans, anyway, this is I'm sure this is going to be pretty popular. If you want to watch it and you haven't signed up for Lightbox, there's a free 30 day trial. So they make it easy for you there. And if you're a Spark customer for your uh, your home internet, then you get free 12 months worth of Lightbox as well. So they're trying to make it reasonably uh, reasonably easy for people to jump on board, and they're trying to entice with yeah, content like Better Call Saul and and Suits that's available very early. So Suits, for instance, I've been watching that through another subscription. I think it might have been through my Amazon Prime subscription, but. With Amazon, it only goes up to the second to last season, unless you want to pay per episode. With right. Lightbox, they'll let you go right to the latest content. The main issue I have with with Lightbox is that they're you know I'm watching most of my content at the moment through the Xbox One. It's not on there, so need to use PlayStation Four or laptop or another yeah device the iPad and push it through. So not too much not too much of an issue, but I think in terms of that widespread adoption. All of these services really need to be across everything, which will be one of the advantages that Netflix has on the day that they, they launch here. Yeah, so are they launching, like, I haven't really delved into looking at, at smart TVs. We were discussing that earlier. Um, so smart TVs that have, like, their custom applications for QuickFlix and the likes of that, will they just get Netflix New Zealand? They have the Netflix app installed for Netflix US, but will that automatically work with the New Zealand account? Yeah, the, the app the app is exactly the same. Right. So any any device that can run Netflix today will be able to, from my understanding of it, just work fine. What it does, it just detects where your your IP address and where it thinks you are, right? And then it gives you content according to that. So if you're using a tool that makes it look as though you're in the US or the UK, etc., then you will see that yeah, content catalogue from Netflix that's particular to that region. That's cool because that was one of the things that I was thinking was like, does this mean we need to like start worrying about firmware upgrades of TVs? And but obviously not. So that's good. Well, the, I mean, it is it is certainly part it is part of the picture that to get you know the new features and to get some of these apps, you will need updates. So yeah, I mean, a lot of TVs won't have won't have got them got that. Well, they would have been not expecting or not aware of Netflix launching 
in New Zealand when the TV was maybe made a year or two ago, and so that app wouldn't have been made yeah. available by default. And there are ways to sort of jump through the hoops to get that on smart TVs. But yeah, it, I guess it all comes down to whether you're using a smart TV, whether you're plugged in some sort of set-top box, yeah, or uh, Apple TV, or, or, or yeah, what what have you, you know, Chromecast yeah. and things. Or I suppose if they've done like special deals, like I, I believe TVNZ on demand is still only available for Samsung TVs. Or we've got quite a few issues like that where things are are, are limited in in one way or another. Shall we say? Yes. Now, we're also waiting any moment for Sky TV to launch their subscription video on demand service too. Neon was due to launch in December and then January, and it's, it's, it's apparently almost here. So I've heard some good things from some people about it. So, Well, my, the main thing that stands out to me as probably a major issue is that it's launching Neon. It's been advised, or I've seen something indicating that it's going to launch initially with just SD, standard definition content, no high definition oh. content, which, yeah, isn't, isn't what you would expect in this day and age. I know it was really one of the disappointing things about Quick Flicks in the, in the early days is they didn't have any HD content. Now, now that you know, we, when Netflix launch next month, they'll have 4K content available. That's certainly the expectation because they do in the US. So to, to launch just with standard definition is is pretty old hat, really. Who can afford to stream 4K video though? Oh, unlimited! If you're on an unlimited plan, which a lot of True. us are these days, and yeah. uh, if you're on ultra fast broadband or, or VDSL, uh, then you may well have the the performance to do so. I wonder if we'll see a, a, a marked like surge in purchasing of new hardware to actually drive that 4K video content as well. I'm sure there is. There's certainly a bit of a hope for that, and it is that 4K content becoming available. I think that will that will help the uh, the sale of the 4K TVs, which has been reasonably slow in, in New Zealand to date. All right, now jumping up next. Some new devices landing in New Zealand from Fitbit. So late last year, we got the uh, the Fitbit charged or charge arrived here in New Zealand. Had a bit of a play around with that. Not a, not a you know, dramatically different from the other Fitbit devices, except for a small display. Now I've just got hold of the Fitbit guys have have dropped over the uh, the Charge HR, which looks very similar. It's a it's a small fitness band. It's not a a big sort of watch style format, and it has got the same little black and white display which you can show on there your number of steps and calories burned and you know, a bunch of you know, a few bit, few other bits and pieces, but that's primarily it. Very much focused on fitness, but the HR adds a heart rate, continuous heart rate monitoring to it, and it, it seems to be uh, seems to be pretty good actually. Every time I flicked across to the heart rate monitor, it's always given me an instant readout, which which does indicate that it's not. Yeah, stopping. The other ones that say they offer continuous heart rate monitoring does seem that they don't, you know, just that doesn't just run 24-7, that particular piece, which is interesting. Mm. And Fitbit talking five to seven days for their devices. That's pretty good. And the other thing we've got, and those have just started landing in the country, don't have one here now, have had a little bit of a look and a play with it, is the Fitbit Surge. And I think they were saying that there's maybe been about 50 of these that have already got out through the retail channel. But because they were launched globally at the same time, there seems to be quite a, well, I was going to say a surge in demand. 
demand, but I, I w- won't say that. But yeah, with that global launch, they've they've not obviously manufactured enough to meet demand. But that Fitbit surge sort of takes it to the next level. It's got a bigger screen. It looks more like a smartwatch, although they say, look, it's not a smartwatch. It is very much fitness focused, but it adds GPS as well. So in terms of actually being able to track where you've gone for a run or right. that sort of thing, then that's quite quite handy. So Fitbit still don't uh, believe support um, things like Apple Health Kit, and I think they were co- quite conscious in their decision not to support it. I think they're creating their own ecosystem, aren't they? Yeah, uh, there. So I'm not sure if they're supporting Google Health or Google Fit, and I think it's called. So they they are com- kind of completely in their own world, which is kind of quite contentious to a, a lot of people saying, hold on, we want our devices in one place. Yeah, I guess the, the approach that they've they've taken is, and at the moment they seem to be the number one player in the fitness wearables market. You know, they've, I guess they're big enough to be able to say we're doing our own thing in the same way you know, Apple have sort of done, done that in, you know, a number of regards. So look, we're, we're the market leader and, you know, we're we're not ready yet to maybe tie into other people's ecosystem. I don't think that means that they won't, because I imagine over time, yeah, if their their market share sort of you know keeps declining, or, or I'm not sure if it's well, declining I mean, now, but you it, know it, if it their could, market share declines, yeah. then they may have to do that for competitive reasons, or they may may choose to for other reasons. It could even be that not supporting it gives them that sudden rapid decline in market share. Yeah, I think it'll depend on how well these other platforms go. One of the benefits of them having their own world is you know the the social elements that they've got so there are there are things there that are built around their particular platform if other people are using other platforms you might have a fitbit but you're not tied into their platform you're going to miss out on those sorts of features so. and you're not constricted by possibly any other third party requirements that you must conform to. Yeah, it's. Mm, I, I mean, I I generally have a preference for yeah devices that are going to work with all these other ecosystems. But I can see it a little bit from their perspective if they're uh, they're a little bit in the box seat because theirs is most popular now. They, they may want to protect that for uh, for a while. There's some competitive advantages to that. Definitely. Mm. So um, the Fitbit HR that's coming at two hundred dollars or one hundred ninety nine dollars. So it's just twenty dollars more than the um, Fitbit Charge, and I think we're talking three hundred and fifty dollars for the uh, the Fitbit Surge. So if you if you're keen on one of those, then uh, Definitely, I think worth getting orders in uh, online or with a with a retailer. So, um, they are, because they are being advertised now, but uh, you may not be able to get stock immediately. Do they come in both like the the big and small size, like the original Fitbits as well? Yeah, they do have sizes, and, and in fact, there's even a um, there's a extra large size which is just orderable online. Uh, so they've got a small and a, and a large, and most of the uh, most of the devices I've seen from Fitbit recently. So you don't have to have this you know crazy extra long sort of uh, band if if you've got a small wrist that's sort of dangling off. You get a yeah you, you or, or, or a lack of blood flow accordingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, no, it seems uh, seems that they're you know they're taking an appropriate uh, appropriate approach there. Now something which has hit the the uh, the mainstream media really just in the last uh, twenty four hours or so, and and this it's not particularly new. It's been something that's been talked about in the past, uh, but is the thought that maybe Samsung TVs are listening into what you're saying and then taking that information, uh, rec- recording your words and uh, and maybe sharing them in, in some way with, with or people, storing them in some way. With people that you don't want to 
have this information. Maybe so, yeah. maybe so. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is an interesting one because, you know, we've, we've now got so many devices around us that actually can listen in. If you uh, are listening to this through your smartphone, well, you know, if there was a rogue application in your smartphone or if the vendor who manufactured it, uh, the software couldn't be trusted or if a government agency uh, had somehow managed to take control of your device. I mean, there are so many scenarios under which you could be uh, monitored in some some way. Uh, and I think we don't really give most of these things a second thought, or maybe there's some malware uh, on, on a device you use, be it a, a laptop or a smartphone or a tablet. Hey, maybe a TV. There are probably lots of ways in which what you say and do could be captured and recorded. I guess what we're talking about here is someone who you might trust in terms of the product manufacturer directly. And the story that's hit the media has been around uh, Samsung in particular. But there, as I say, there are lots of devices. There's the the, you know, the Xbox, which has its built-in uh, voice recognition capabilities yeah. too. Uh, and these these things tend to uh, tend to utilise you know, cloud services. So they have to take a portion of what you say and push it out online, uh, often to do some sort of conversion from from the the zeros and ones that the computer or the device captures into uh, in, into text. So, so Mark, what, what are your thoughts about this? Should we, I mean, should we be worried? We've already got Samsung saying, well, you know, hey, no, 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 these stories are wrong. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I did think it was quite amusing. My first thought when I, was, I read the press release from Samsung, and they categorically denied not recording the content without your permission. Yeah, but Samsung says there is no foundation to claims their smart TV is recording users' conversations without consent. So they're not saying that they're not recording your conversations, just not doing it without your consent. And I think this is the same argument over GPS tagging your photos and uploading them to Facebook where someone might end up stalking your child or something. In most of these cases, you have to opt in and turn on these features. But in the case of these these searches, so they also state that it's not recording things where you say like Channel 2 volume up, mute. It's only when you do a search that's actually going to have to go out to the internet. So there's not really any difference to you typing in into the, into the Googles how to make an atomic bomb. Sure, you're searching for a, U, a U2 video, but uh, based on what you might have searched yesterday... What if there's somebody talking about something else right next to you and it captures that as well? Giving out your credit card number, some other private information, big deal well, or not? It could be. Um, Depends what you're discussing. Yeah, Depend- I, I, I think if you're reading out uh, credit card numbers and stuff in front of your TV, maybe you might want to rethink your discussions anyway and actually write it down on a bit of paper. But I, I think these things are going to be very isolated, but quite possibly, even though, even though that is... I probably guess maybe in about a year there will be one case that's going to be really bad and or at least potentially really bad that's going to get way blown out of proportion and whether it will just end up being a fizzer of a, of a story that will be really popular for a day and then go, uh, that wasn't actually really anything to worry about or... Yeah, I think there's this underlying big brother sort of concern that we are getting watched and listened to and so on. And, you know, to a degree, we have to trust, we have to trust these firms. 
but there, there's also a degree of, of caution as well. And, you know, in the case of the Samsung, yeah, you can turn it off now. Uh, but the thing to be aware of is maybe in one circumstance or another there is going to be a bug or there's going to be an issue or there's going to be something that gets hacked or what have you. And at, at some stage, something will something will happen that people uh, don't like or are uncomfortable about. I mean, Mark, you'll remember the uh, the case of, of Google who were uh, you know, collecting a lot of data as their cars were, 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 were driving around to collect those Street View photos. And they were they had these wireless uh, sort of uh, uh, devices that were were capturing sort of open you know in theory sort of open data and they were just co- collecting all these streams of data which they weren't you know, legally allowed to do but accidentally they collected you know what could have been people's usernames passwords and you know all sorts of confidential yeah. data. Technically, you could say that was public information because it's all on public Wi-Fi, but. Uh and I think in part but of that, then, then if they had a, uh, a high-powered microphone pointing in every direction and capturing private conversations that were happening on the street or uh, in a house or a building they were passing, yeah, where do, where do you draw these lines? I, I think that's going to be the great debate for the next couple of years. Is like where do you where do you draw those lines, and how much of this is going to end up be PC and like really horrible laws that can be written in under. Under, rushed under something to do with Christchurch earthquakes or something and are going to be really meaningless and probably never enforced. Like a lot of the copyright law, it's never actually enforced because if they did, we wouldn't actually be able to watch TV at home if you've got more than three kids, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think it, is, it kind of crosses back into what the whole kind of thing that a lot of people say is like, if your children are using the internet, be aware of what they're searching for and what they're doing. If you're going to enable Wi-Fi on your TV, be aware that you're enabling Wi-Fi on your TV and your children now have access to the internet through some other means. I think it's just a matter of learning what the technology can and can't do and what is going to come back. Being voice search, it's possibly going to be a lot more easier to search for things that you didn't really want to search for. And we've always gone to places on the web web where suddenly pop-up windows have come up and shown you things that you didn't want to see. That, I think, is probably going to be the big one that we're going to see on searches on smart TVs. We're going to get searches that return content that... Wasn't quite quite what you said. Not quite what you wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. And your parents are going to walk in at the wrong time or something, and it's like... "Ah." (laughs) Yep, parents, children, whatever. It's going to be a a new generation of um, awkwardness. Hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see there being some uh, some challenges in those regards. I think yeah, there, there's potentially a you know a fair bit more to it, and you know the the whole um, privacy you know discussion you know we we've had in, in in recent months sort of you know celebrity you know naked pictures sort of leaked Cell online phone messages and, 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 and so on those those sorts of things. Yeah, you know, some of these you know they really do cross over. And you know, there's a there's a level of responsibility I think that you know that we can take as individuals in terms of how we do and don't you know, use our devices, and just being aware that you know, you um, yeah you do certain things in front of a, a you know, a computer camera 
or a device camera, um, hey, you just might not be able to control what 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 happens with that. It's like yeah. Um, there was the other point I noticed in the the Samsung press release was they mentioned that the content that gets uploaded is to a third party, not to Samsung directly. So it's n- and who were you suggesting earlier that that third party might be uh, GCSB or something? Was it Mark? maybe <laughs> there is there is potential? You don't actually know where this content is being shipped. We're just assuming that it is going to Samsung, but that might actually be going to uh, TVNZ or to some local computer IT support person in Auckland who's actually running the servers for Samsung in New Zealand. You don't actually know where that content is going and. Yeah, I mean, they are saying that it goes to a company that, that does basically the speech-to-text translation so that they know what the search is and it can pass it back to the TV. But, yeah, if they don't have control of that, you know, can you be 100% sure? What if there's some rogue employee in there who starts going and searching through this data and you know, looking for certain certain yeah. things that get stored somewhere? So, yeah, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a level of risk, I, I guess, I'm yeah that side of it I'm not yeah super concerned about at the moment and particularly based on the fact that it's yeah in this particular case Samsung is saying it's yeah it's very limited what information yeah. does get passed I mean, back as the hardware actually gets improved as well that text to speech might be done on the TV itself a- as it is when you ask for a channel up or a channel down yeah. those sort of things it's however smart. being in the cloud it means that they can upgrade the the knowledge of those words and stuff much more easier. However, even then, it's still going to be sending that search off to the internet to actually do the search. So uh, either way, you're sending content out to the internet to get information back. Oh, you could always unplug from the internet, couldn't you? No. How am I going to get my light box? You wouldn't be able to do much without the internet, I know. I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, moving on, we heard... um, not long ago, actually, just just in recent weeks, around the new uh, transglobal access undersea uh, cable that's going to link New Zealand and Australia, and those Samsung TVs, and to hook, yep, your Samsung, everything that goes on the internet will be taking advantage of this. So we've got uh, Telstra, uh, Spark, and Vodafone joining forces to uh, to to spend some um, some good some good money uh, now. There was it was suggested that maybe there would be some challenges in terms of this getting approved, this uh, ninety dollar uh, ninety million dollar uh, submarine uh, cable. Uh, seems not. The Commerce Commission have uh, have confirmed that uh, it all looks good to uh, to go ahead. So uh, now we we really just sit and wait. Uh, we're, we're looking in the direction of eighteen months for uh, for that to be uh, uh, to be in play and up and running and. Uh, yeah, I guess the hope is that uh, that you know just helps bring down the cost of the uh, um, the unlimited internet plans that uh, we're seeing more and more of. Will we see any in- increase in the cost of our home internet to actually fund some of this, or is that how do we see that actually going to be affecting our day-to-day costs of internet? I don't think so because this adds a, a little bit of competition to the Southern Cross cable that we have under sea at the moment, which covers New Zealand to Australia. But I mean, and that, that, New Zealand that, to the to the rest of the world. So yeah. this will be a, a competitive offering, I guess. The, you know, there ends up being a little bit less money back into uh, you know Southern Cross's coffers uh, in terms of this this traffic. But it also means that with this connection into Australia, we remember that Australia has a lot more links into the rest of the world than New Zealand does. 
So yeah, maybe you're trying to access data that's in Asia, or even if it is in the US, you could potentially, you know, with this go to Australia and then another, you know, via another source yeah. to the US at, at lower cost. So I think these things will just keep falling as they have done in recent years. Uh, it also gives New Zealand a little bit of diversity. So if you know, both paths to the Southern Cross Cable were, uh, you know, broken, chopped, whatever, uh, then this this is another uh, route through which data can go before we're uh, before we're yeah. kind of stuck with uh, satellites. I, I suppose at the wholesale level, you, if you're an ISP or something, you might want to be buying more transit through both places. I'm not actually really sure how any of that really works, even though a lot of my ISP friends have told me numerous times it's like, ah, I don't know. So whether that kind of affects more at the cost at the wholesale level to providers, but the end user consumer, we don't care whether we go through one cable or another. Uh, we do from a performance perspective. So the, the, I mean, that not, aspect not from a technical perspective. We don't choose our routing to go through YouTube, through Southern Cross and Vimeo through... Most end users probably wouldn't be at that sort of technical level, yeah. uh, but... You know there there are there are ways and means, but usually that's all uh, that's all managed by some your internet provider, and uh, you know and and in most cases that's it works reasonably well. But there are certainly times where where we have issues, and uh, you know our internet providers going in a strange way for one one reason or yeah. or another, and it uh, it means that a particular service is slow or you know accessing a particular. Uh, website or, or cloud um, yeah, provider doesn't work too well. So uh, yeah, but I think in, in general this will be uh, this will be a good thing. Um, I'm not sure if all of the smaller ISPs will feel the same way because they don't have a piece, they don't actually own this. Whereas it's uh, you know it's our bigger internet providers that are uh, um, that are in control here. Yep. Now, Project Fire, spelled P-H-I-R-E. Do you know what this is, Mark? It's a glass, isn't it? It is. But it's not Google Glass. This is just like cell phone glass. Um, so glass. Cor- Corning, who make the, uh, and I like the name of, of Corning's uh, glass product, Gorilla Glass. Yeah, you know why I like that, don't you? Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. So, um, so yeah, namesake to my my company, um, yeah, Gorilla Glass. So yeah, that's been that's been the sort of the famous product really that we've seen in in the, the top smartphones in, in recent years. And you know, at CES they've often uh, yeah made announcements or, or talked about the new version of Gorilla Glass that's tougher and and better than the previous version. So uh, it may be that Project Fire ends up being, you know, renamed or or named as Gorilla Glass 4. Uh, We don't know, but it's designed to be a nice, um, both both a a, a tough glass, which is what Gorilla Glass is sort of known for, uh, but also being scratch resistant in in a similar way that uh, Sapphire is. And, you know, we, we heard all the rumours around, well, Apple are going to make the next iPhone with a, a Sapphire uh, display so that it's scratch-resistant, but the downside of Sapphire is that uh, it's not actually as, as maybe shatterproof as some of these toughened glasses like uh, Gorilla Glass. And I suppose not as cheap either. No, Sapphire being a reasonably expensive thing. I mean, Apple do have it on the um, uh, the Touch ID or the, the home button uh, on on the uh, you know the current iPhone products, 
but as far as going for a full uh, screen, I think there's only uh, one vendor that has done that. Uh, maybe it's uh, Huawei. Um, certainly one of the Chinese vendors that had actually gone with a Sapphire, mm. uh, Sapphire screen. And if you look at some of the phones, I think one of the one of the Nexus phones had both glass on the front and the back. It's like, that's going to be one expensive phone if you start using this really strong, expensive glass. Well, yeah, I'm not sure the glass is too expensive because we're starting to see it appear on cheaper and cheaper you know, phones. It's not just the $1,000 phones. It's yeah, you see it on a two, yeah, two hundred dollar um, yeah smartphone as well. So, I guess the yeah, the, as they ramp up in the production, scheme of it's it. going to be dropping yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, interesting uh, story I came across uh, also was uh, a Japanese company launching a new hotel, and looks like that they're. Uh, you know they've got some big sort of global ambitions for building this new hotel chain. They don't have much staff though, do they? Well, they they do in a way. Uh, they are uh, they're they're launching um, they're launching in um, Nagasaki, and it's the uh, Henna Hotel, and they are going to employ in uh, in inverted brackets ten robots. Uh, three of which that will be uh, multilingual. But these are also human-like robots, correct? Sounds a bit scary, yeah, a bit, bit spooky. Yeah, are, are we crossing the line like iRobot? Are, are the robots going to be self-sentient? Are they going to start uh, giving us special deals if we like smile at them? Time will tell. Ooh. Time will tell. But, uh, yeah, it seems... It seems to be there's a lot of places where technology comes into play for businesses and you know, helps businesses be more efficient, uh, yeah, more effective, and so on. You know, there are all these uses of, of technologies. And I guess in most recent years, it's really been focused around the software. You know, in New Zealand, we've heard a lot about Xero and oh, it makes the accounting experience you know, fun. And look, I can do things quicker because I don't have to you know, download my bank feeds and so on. But yeah, we know that there's always there's always going to be a push to where can we use technology more, and robots have been one of those sort of yeah. pie in the sky things. But now we're actually starting to uh, starting to see it yeah. a little bit more. And I think it also kind of keeps that personal aspect to it, where you'll have someone to actually talk to rather than just looking at a computer screen, going pushing some buttons and it's a touch screen. Yeah. Okay. So it gives you sort of in between the human experience and the. Yeah, check in at a at a kiosk type experience. That could also be just be incredibly frustrating because it would be like. Well, it depends how good their voice recognition is, doesn't it? I mean, well, you you would kind of think that. Well, I mean, it's not just the voice recognition. It's like a normal a normal person, they can bend the rules to actually like potentially like, oh, okay, we we can see the situation. It, sorry, that's unfortunate. We'll like let that slide or give you an extra day or something whereas if it's just a computer it is just a computer no matter how much it looks like a human unless we cross that barrier and then it gets a bit scary yeah yes uh, i mean hmm yeah it is interesting now that Jap- japan is the place where this is happening i mean japan has been you know a place we've seen a lot of sort of high-tech things uh, i mean they're, know, all, over, they're already over, doing over a lot of period. stuff with robots anyway so. they are you know uh you know they've had robots that will sort of patrol um you know, do security patrols around malls 
and after hours, those sorts of things. Yeah, they've been varying robots for uh, yeah for quite a number of years in Japan, uh, and certainly automating automating things with technology is you know is very common for them. I remember uh, my first time in in Tokyo, which would be mm, between ten, oh, maybe twelve years ago now, and uh, walking into a um, a noodle bar. And the way that you ordered was you, you you pushed a button. Well, first of all, you pushed the button on the door, and the door would sort of slide open, slightly Star Trek like. Uh, and then you go in, and then there was a sort of a, um, a yeah computerized you know, machine on the wall where you would choose what you wanted from the menu, hit the buttons, and you'd actually do the transaction entirely, you know, with the device. And I always thought, oh, we'll see that at McDonald's and various places in New Zealand you know, within a year or two, it, it sort of never came. Um, but from their mm. perspective, it freed up the people that were working behind the counter to actually be, uh, you know, cooking the food and, and, and so on in a, in a small sort of noodle bar. Um, so it might have, you know, saved sort of, you know, I don't know, um, you know, half of a person's uh, time because that was happening. You know, you didn't have to deal with the till and so on. You could still if you, you, know, you placed your order there and then you decided, oh, I also want, you know, Something yeah. else you could still you know do that with the person behind the counter, but it did seem to uh, speed things up a little bit, make it a little bit more efficient. Yeah. So yeah, not uh, not new for them to uh, to look at technology uh, to to automate, but uh, it's it's still still a little little bit scary. But if this works, apparently we're going to be uh, uh, seeing many more of these uh, sorts of things around around the world, and the the humanoid aspect is. Uh, Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm yet to uh, yet to experience it, so it's, it's quite, kind of hard to know what to think. So, talking about airy kind of new technology with like bringing in other things, have you seen these new smart body cars? Yeah, well, it's reading uh, reading around that one and the concept of of a car that's able to alert you if somebody maybe reverses into your car when you know you're at, maybe you're at the uh, supermarket and you're not actually with the car, but it, it's able to alert you. Uh, I guess there must be some sensors that are actually in the uh, in the in the panel that can uh, yeah, you know pick that it up. It sounds like re- reading this article that was on Engadget. Um, it's I think it's like a mesh along the body or the paint job or s- somewhere along there that's just actively monitoring the entire kind of panels of the car. And as you get dinged or hit that it can start recording that information it's pressure sensitive in some way so it's yeah. able to capture that instantly well i guess what you could do is if that happened you could you'd ha- i guess have to have uh cameras and so on in your cars but those are becoming more and more you know common and you know yeah. the newer vehicles where you've got a 360 degree view for parking and so on uh yeah that could then basically capture the detail of exactly what's uh, what's happening and then see who Is did it, it and yeah and uh, and ping you straight away if you're uh, you know if you're not in the vehicle let you know what's going yeah. on so one of the downsides that was mentioned in the article was so in the case of a car rental place they now get immediate notification that you've dinged your rental car. Yes. Which is like, hmm, that could be, that works in their favour, not necessarily in your favour. Um, well, I don't know. It would mean there would be no confusion over, you know, because sometimes you get a you get a vehicle and it's got a sort of scratch or two on it and they have to walk around the vehicle, capture all yeah. of that. Uh, if you've actually got something that's capturing that data, maybe, so, you know, I don't think I've ever damaged a rental car. And I've yeah I've driven cars in you know a few different uh, countries yeah. and 
Yeah, I, I would. I'd like to be sort of sure one one way or the other. I did come back to a car once that um, in London that had had mm-hmm. its uh, windows smashed and uh, someone had yeah, stolen. I can't remember what was in the car, but they'd certainly smashed the window and maybe maybe stolen something out of the vehicle. Um, yeah. So yeah, having the sort of more of an electronic monitoring that's maybe can can actually communicate back to you when that happens, rather than just making yeah. a, an alarm noise or something, and, and confirm good. that you weren't actually in the vehicle driving at the same time or mm. so if they had like the gps on the key fob as well like okay we can see that you're not near the car and someone else did this obviously so that kind of be, could be kind of cool mm. the idea the one other thing that i thought of was like we've got like google talking about uh their self-driving cars and now uber doing self-driving cars it's like we've got these cars that are now going to drive themselves surely they should be avoiding anything that's going to be dinging them but somebody else could 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 still uh, ding them. Your car might have its eyes closed and be having a nap on the side of the road, Mark. Oh. And uh, and then um, you know you but might be on your uh, on your bicycle ro- and, uh, and, don't and run sleep. into it. Robots don't need to sleep. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, maybe the car's not geared up to defend itself, right? So to hit you as you're coming close to it, uh, so. Yeah, you know, it can it can find out and alert you. So. It could be interesting having that that double combination of of stuff. All right, now uh, two years ago at CES, I went and visited uh, the team from Canonical, who are the makers of uh, Ubuntu uh, Linux. Yep, and they showed me a fancy uh, phone. In fact, it was a um, what was it? I think it was probably a Google Nexus handset. Uh, but it wasn't running Android. It was running Canonical's... Um, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. And the talk at that time was we were going to see um, uh, you know, the Ubuntu uh, Linux uh, basically running across all our varying screen sizes. And it seemed like an interesting uh, concept. And I think they kind of planned to actually get something out within about six to seven months and then... Yeah, Something so they they did a bit of a of... crowdfunding campaign to try and uh, yeah get sufficient funds to launch a really nice top high end handset. Uh, that didn't didn't actually happen. Um, so they've gone and taken a different approach, and so they've um, they are launching in uh, in Europe. They are launching um, they are launching Ubuntu. On a lower end, basically on a lower end uh, uh, handset. So uh, this is the Edge phone, and it's got uh, it's pretty low end. Um, four four gig. Um, uh, sorry, I'm getting my my numbers mixed up here. Uh, one one gig of RAM, um, eight gigabyte worth of um, onboard storage, uh, four and a half inch um, screen. A quad core CPU, so you know, sort of, you know, typical run of the mill, sort of uh, lower end or lower to mid end uh, handset. Um, but but it's going to launch at uh, what is it, 170 euros, which you know is probably in the if it were to make it to the New Zealand market, sort of 250 to 300 dollar uh, market here in New Zealand. So they do also have a proposed. The, I think the Edge is the proposed one, which is the high end one, which looks like it's got four four gigs of RAM, one hundred twenty eight gigs of disk. That's quite a high end phone. Well, that's what they were. That's what they were looking at with their, I believe, with their uh, crowdfunding uh, campaign, and they were trying to raise thirty two million. 
but they fell short by um, um, a, a, a long shot. I think they they um, they were probably about twenty million short. So uh, it started started strong. They raised uh, five million towards that, and uh, uh, I think they only ended up getting it up to, to twelve million. So this is kind of a bit of a reboot on the uh, the concept. I find this it is interesting, but I'm I'm just not confident that there's room for a whole new uh, mobile platform you know, to launch and to be particularly successful. Knowing that Android is you know is free, so uh, and it's and it's got a big app catalog, so that's what people tend to make first and foremost if they you know if a manufacturer is going to launch a, a phone. Uh, and then secondly, we've got Windows Phone uh, that's got a growing app catalog, but not yeah, not 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 there, uh, you know, up there with uh, with Android. And then you've got a few others like Firefox yeah. um, OS and, and and so on that sort of fall in behind, and yeah, a bit of Tizen and, and and so on. But uh, I'm just not particularly confident that we're going to see this thing uh, this thing work. What's what's uh, what's your thought, Mark? I mean, it, you're you're uh, you're a bit of a bit of a Linux uh, sort of user and, and fan, aren't you? I'm not entirely sure how this is going to really go because you you can talk about having Ubuntu on across all devices, but you're not necessarily going to have all the same software. It's going to have to be new applications that are written using the cross-platform technology. So you're not just going to say, all right, let's fire up um, the GIMP and do some image editing on our phones. Because that's running. It's ex- not, not really geared up for it's it. It's not really geared it? up to it. It's yeah, yeah. the wrong API. So I think there is going to be that disconnect where it's kind of going back to either you're going to have to have web applications and or web-like applications, maybe like kind of like hybrids where you're actually running a native application that's got a web view portion of it. Or So it's going to be... It's going to have to take, say, like one or two big apps moving across to actually get some draw card for then other people to actually start developing for it. I mean, Android... I want to have a play with this thing, though. When I, when I saw it at CES, it looked really cool. It was a really nice sort of modern, uh, sleek operating system. It seemed to, you know, it seemed to be well-designed. It was easy to sort of you know, flick around between your apps. And I mean, a lot of people said the same thing about like some of the Mego devices and some of those other Linux-based ones that were really novel and really awesome and really great for the free software fighters. But when it came to like being a, a proper commercial entity that's going to make money and be, be sustainable, uh, the market's kind of getting a bit saturated now. I think having like four new phone operating systems, it's going to be very difficult, I think. Potentially, maybe in the in the emerging markets in like third world countries and that kind of, which I think might be one of their targets. I think that's where Firefox are targeting. In those areas, it's possibly going to be really awesome if it's on cheap phones, easy to use. They don't necessarily need um, Angry Birds, so a lot of those big apps that we consider big requirements. And not necessarily what they consider requirements. So, yeah, I think it'll be an, it'll be an interesting one to watch whether whether this is successful. You know, f- firstly in Europe where they do this launch, uh, and and yeah, really whether there's any sort of further uh, further pickup on the um, you know Ubuntu phone uh, phone yeah, platform. So, 
Yeah, it's um, it's always interesting when other people sort of have a crack at it. But you know, it often seems to me when when these new uh, uh, yeah platforms get announced, it, it sometimes seems to me that it's they've got about as much chance as the next uh, trade me competitor that that launches and. Yeah, there seem to be one of those, you know, every every, every now and then, or, or someone that's talking about it, and uh, or, or the same one that a, relaunches. It's it's a it's a it, much easier said than done to uh, to compete with what's out there uh, right now. And yeah, even Microsoft with their billions of dollars in their uh, their back pocket, uh, you know, they they've really really struggled to gain gain any significant market share with uh, with with Windows Phone. And, yeah, I guess this is a year that they have another crack at it with the convergence of uh, of Windows across the the phone and the tablet and the laptop and PC and so on. Having which is having interesting because they've now released Office for Android, and they're pushing their um, I can't remember what it's called, but their new lock screen for Android, which incorporates like Bing search and all that kind of stuff. So they're in a kind of a weird position currently where they're pushing a lot of Android apps, they're open sourcing .NET, they're, they're all over the place. Well, I think and Microsoft have recognised that they can't rely on their software just being on Windows. They've, you know, if they want Office to still be successful, they've got to make it available on every single platform. If they want Bing to be successful, if they want you know, any of their products to be successful, they have to be everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, they're still having a, you know, they're, they're, I guess Windows has been a cash cow for them for you know, 20 uh, plus years. And, uh, and the, but as things they are moving to mobile, that cash cow is kind of going away. Or they're going to consoles, they're going to phones, tablets. Well, they're giving they're giving it a go, aren't they? They don't they don't want to uh, they don't want to have to uh, you know close close the well miss out on all the revenue that's associated with uh, with mobile platforms. And uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're certainly continuing to uh, spend a lot of cash, shall we say, on uh, on that particular approach, such as uh, buying the Nokia handset division. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's going to be a, a pretty fascinating year as all these things continue. Uh, the wearables, we'll talk a lot more about those as we get hands on other other products. Of course, uh, yeah, Apple Watch not not too far off now. Uh, I I think you know we're we're in probably an unprecedented sort of time of uh, of competition. Which is leading to a lot of innovation. You know, we look at the the downsizing of of technology uh, as we've got the you know the ARM chips and the the varying chips from Intel. Uh, you know, they're really sort of trying to battle it out there, and uh, it only leads to uh, leads to good things and uh, you know better products, lower prices. Yeah, the only downside is in this kind of transition period of where there is a lot of the innovation, where is the consumers often buy dud products or products that were really awesome but not quite there or didn't quite commercially get viable traction so went away and there'll always be a challenge with that won't there as long as there's innovation and new things being invented though and and as consumers we're uh i don't know uh i don't know silly enough is the right word you could say yeah silly enough to jump in on the the next new fad before it's actually uh proven right but without us kind of IT people buying those things, a lot of these things just don't get proven because if no one's buying them, they're never going to get proven. Yeah, may, may, maybe so, maybe yeah. so. Certainly, and you know, in some cases, yeah. I mean, you really you do need to have early adopters. You know, if, I guess if if no one had believed in Apple when they launched the original iPhone, 
you know, would would we have seen a succession of of products leading from that, the iPad, and and then all the products from other vendors that have sort of followed suit because of its uh, because of its success. So, yeah, I mean, there's always got to be somebody to you know to get started, doesn't there? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that's us for uh, for this week. Thank you very much for uh, for joining me, Mark. It's been great. Now, where do people find you online? You're uh, you're often around Twitter and the uh, like. On Twitter at uh, Talios, T A L I O S, or on Google Plus, just Mark Derricket. Yep. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Well, you can find me on those uh, those same uh, social networks at Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. And uh, if you like to listen to the odd podcast, which you probably do since you've got to this point in, uh, in the New Zealand Tech Podcast this week, uh, then worth, uh, worth having a look at podcasts.co.nz. Uh, there's one or two other podcasts of interest there, our uh, New Zealand Motoring Podcast. I think we're up to uh, episode uh, four now and um, actually some pretty cool and interesting uh, discussion on there. Uh, so that one's uh, worth listening to. Some uh, some good stuff coming up on the uh, New Zealand Entertainment Podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, keep a watch, keep listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Vector Communications. Data networks built for business.